Hey, this is Dr. Priyanka Venugopal, and you're listening to Weight Loss for Unstoppable Moms, episode 35, Burnout with Dr. Amanda Miles. Today, I'm bringing you a beautiful and badass OBGYN physician doctor and coach to talk to all of us about overworking and burnout. Dr. Amanda Miles is a physician, coach, and she's the host of the Happy Gynecologist podcast. Her work with OBGYN physicians is deeply important, and I feel particularly touched by it. She's helping women docs who help women. I mean, come on, it's next level. So of course I wanted to bring Amanda onto the podcast so she could share some of her pearls and her experience with us so we can really start to identify when we are going from working to overworking to starting to burn out. She's going to share her story of burnout and how she came out the other side. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to make sure that you know about a free training that I have going on for you. I have seen the impact of doing a live masterclass and interacting with all of you live. And so I'm hosting the Antidote to Willpower and Weight Loss again. I really want to encourage you to block the timeout and come live. You can get all of the details at theunstoppablemombrain.com forward slash antidote. It is frankly just impossible to keep tapping into willpower. So we are going to solve that together. I cannot wait to see you there. Now let's get into today's episode. If you want to reach your ideal weight and create lightness for your body, you need to have simplicity, joy, and strategic decisions infused into your life. I'm a physician turned life and weight loss coach for ambitious working moms. I've lost over 60 pounds without counting points, calories, or crazy exercise plans. Most importantly, I feel calm and light on the scale and in my life. There's some delicious magic when you learn this work and the skills I'm going to be teaching you. Ready? Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome back, my unstoppable friends. I am so excited to bring you my amazing friend, peer, and fellow coach, Dr. Amanda Miles. She is a ninja OBGYN. She is the host of the Happy Gynecologist podcast, and she helps OBGYNs that are just working really too hard, burning out to help them level up their lives. So please help me in welcoming Dr. Amanda Miles. Welcome. Tell us all about you and how you became like to where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Priya. I really do appreciate it. And I love, I love what you're doing here, especially for all those high achieving women, because that's who I am too, you know? So I fit into that. So yeah. So I am an OBGYN and I found myself a few years ago being burnt out. I didn't understand at that time that that's what that was, but I had three small children. I had a three-year-old and newborn twins. And I was working in a solo practice, which, you know, for the non-medical listeners out there, I was alone (laughs) and trying to take care of a lot of people in a very small town. And I found myself where I was doing work and then I would come home and I would take care of my children. And then I'd be up all night, you know, seeing the babies And then I'd go back and do it again. And maybe in the middle of nursing the babies, I'd get called out to do go deliver someone else's baby. And I would have clinic during the day and I would operate. And then I would come home and I would essentially work my second job as a mom all night long. And it is its own, it is its own job. It's its own full-time job being a mom. And I think, I think this is why I, I can't wait to talk to you about this, especially because being a working mom, I always think of as this like 
just this unique flavor where you're working hard on both ends, where you're, especially you, because we've talked about this offline, like we have both loved being physicians and being OBGYNs and serving women in that way. And we love the work. And so we want to do the work. It's why we ever became physicians to begin with. And we also want to be good moms. We also want to like do all of that too. And yet somehow we end up overworking and burning out. So yeah, keep going. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So essentially I had a few days of really long hours where I was without sleep, either due to the babies or due to my job. And I kind of hit this point where I was like, I got to make a change. I got to figure something out. And so I ended up quitting my job and starting a different job that was supposed to be like way better. It was supposed to have like all these perks and it was supposed to like fix my life. Right. Right. And guess what? It didn't. (laughs) Guess what? It didn't. Yeah. It didn't. So I made a huge change and to make everything better. And then I didn't feel better. I was still trying to struggle with like, I kept asking myself, like, why can't I get my stuff together to put it nicely? And like, why can't I get my stuff together? Why is everybody else having an easier time than me? I just felt exhausted all the time, overwhelmed. I had anxiety. I thought like, maybe I'm depressed. Like I took all these online screenings. I talked to the primary care friend. I'm like, am I depressed? Like what's wrong with me? And I wasn't. I tested negative on all of that. And she's like, I don't think you are. And so during this time, I also found myself gaining a lot of weight. (laughs) And what I thought was like a weight issue was kind of a symptom of all of this as well, was burnout. And so, yeah, so that's how I, I kind of started addressing my weight. And I figured out, oh, this is all burnout. And, you know, I was emotionally exhausted. I was kind of the point where I just like, didn't care. I got to the point, I just like really hit a rock bottom place where I was just like, had crazy thoughts, like of like, maybe I'll get COVID, take some time off, you know, like stuff like that, like where it's just like, I didn't want to keep going, you know, I didn't want to harm myself, but it would be nice if I got in a wreck on the way home and broke my leg and I couldn't work. Like who mm, has like almost that? like no, but like what's so interesting is it's almost like you tell me if this feels true. It sounds almost like you wanted a real reason to slow down and stop working, and you didn't realize that you had authority in making a change. I'm so curious because you said that there was a moment when you were at your first job and then you switched to the second job. You said, I have to change something. What was it that was making you be like, I have to change something? Like, what were your symptoms? How did you know that you were like, this is not good? I essentially hadn't slept in, I think it was like three or four days, like hadn't slept at all. And I went in and I was supposed to be doing surgery on people that morning. And I walked in and I was a hot mess express at that point, of course. Right. And I made the realization that I needed to cancel my surgeries because it wasn't safe. Nobody wants a physician to operate on them if they've been awake for four days. Like it's not safe. I wasn't able to make the best decisions. I wasn't clear-minded. And people got really mad at me for that. Like people got mad that I canceled them. I like blew up. I went home and I was just like, you know, kind of like F all of this. Like nobody cares about me. I've been up for days. Nobody's helping me. Nobody understands. And so I that was kind of a big moment of like, I felt mistreated. I felt, you know, all these things, which may or may not have been real at that point. 
But it's how you felt. Yeah, that's how I felt. Right? And it was real that you felt that way. I think, you know, for anyone that's not a physician or a medical professional listening to this, I think this just goes to show because I don't know that we always speak to the dichotomy, but there is being a physician and having the physician life. And then there's being a patient and we've been on both sides. Even as physicians, we are patients, right? Like we show up and we want our physician to treat us with their skills and expertise. But at the same time, I think what you're talking about is physicians are humans. And, you know, I think we sometimes put physicians on these pedestals, like they should know more, they should be somehow superhuman. And the trouble is physicians are believing that too. We Physicians are believing I should be superhuman. And the trouble is we've probably been programmed and indoctrinated to believe that from a very young age. And I think that that is where the trouble is. We start to believe I should be superhuman and look at me not being superhuman. How dare I? How dare I not be superhuman? That is 100% correct. And so beliefs like that, that like I shouldn't need to sleep or I should be able to do this or you know I should be doing more. Or like, I need to prove myself. Like all of those beliefs that I had as a high achieving student, you know, then med student and then resident doctor, you know, throughout my life, I was always the little kid that wanted the gold star and that stuck with me. And And it was rewarded. Yes. You know, whenever I worked hard, I was rewarded. Exactly. And so I had always kind of this need to prove myself as well. And I don't know. I think that was probably due to like an internal, like lack of enoughness and this striving and hustling and trying to achieve more. What I didn't realize is that the external striving and achieving will never solve for that internal lack of enoughness. So trying to prove myself by doing things outwardly, I didn't need that. I needed to find the enoughness inside me really. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what we talk about so much on this podcast in different flavors, but how is it possible? I think that, you know, anyone listening and if they know you, you are seriously, and like, so, you know, I, again, like working moms, physicians, we have worked so hard. We are so brilliant and so smart and we've gotten the A's and the gold stars and we've done well on the tests. We're literally doing amazing things. How is it possible that we feel lack and not enoughness. Like, how do you think that that even happens? Like someone that is so accomplished has all the things on paper. Yeah. I think it's really rooted probably in perfectionism, which I know you guys have talked about here. This like thought that if, you know, Brene Brown, I think says like, if I, if I look perfect, act perfect, appear perfect to the world, then I can avoid some negative feelings of, you know, like shame or judgment. You know, if I do good enough, no one will think badly of me. And It's kind of seated in the, we get our validation from other people versus give it to ourselves, I think, if we are doing those things. yeah, Right. And so it's no wonder, it's almost like, oh, so if you're not hitting the mark, if you're not able to see all of the patients and do all of the inbox and all of the EMR and also operate on, you know, two hours of sleep, because we've used that as our parameters, see, I'm not doing enough. And I wonder for you, tell me if this feels true for you, like, would you see other physicians or other working moms doing it a certain way and then compare yourself to them every day, every day. There was this kind of alone feeling that came with that as well, where I felt like I was the only one. And I I would say this like to my husband, like, I'm the only one that can't figure this out. Why am I the only one that can't get my stuff together? You know, 
And it was isolating. And that is also a part of burnout is that you feel like no one understands or you feel like you're alone or you feel you have a a loss of connection almost. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that like there was any colleagues or friends that would see that, that you could talk to about it? Like, why do you think you felt alone in it? Part of it was, is that I think that whenever I would try to talk to others, you know, I had OBGYN friends and I would kind of be like, oh, it, it just stinks. It sucks. It, it's awful. You know, but like, that's kind of what a lot of people do. You know, we all complain, right? Like we complain and have a little vent fest, you know, and it was just like, oh yeah, mine too. You know? And so it's almost like that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. And so I just thought that like everybody else handled theirs better. And I'm the only one that, you know, like we vent, but like, I don't know that they understand fully, you know, it was still like that thought the whole time of like, nobody understands, nobody gets it. And I don't know, maybe they did get it. I just was like, oh, deep in the mouth that that was a constant thought I had. Yeah. Right. When I think back to a lot of the times that I felt I never got to burn out the way that I think you did, but I remember thinking like, for me also, there was some alone, there's a loneliness in thinking that I wanted more. I felt almost a little guilty or a little bit like, how dare I want more than what I have? Because on paper, I really like a job I loved, colleagues that I respected, patients I adored, you know, two kids that are sweet, a partner that's like on paper. I talk about this a lot. Like, I'm like, who am I to complain about this? Like, I've worked very hard and I'm living this life that if anybody was looking in, they'd be like, oh, look at her. She has it all. And I think that there was a part of me that felt guilty for wanting more. And I think that that added a layer that prevented me from taking action for a really long time. What do you think yeah, about that for you? I think that honestly, like not to get into feminism too much, but I think that as women, we are socialized to say or think or believe, like you need to be happy with what you have. You need to not complain. You need to just be thankful, be grateful you know, look at all the nice things in your life. Why are you unhappy? You don't deserve to complain. And so it's deeply ingrained, I think, in us as women, honestly, to feel guilty or almost to like gaslight ourselves of like, no, that's crazy that I feel bad. Look at all the nice things I have, you know, or look at all the great things in my life. It's, you know. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like, it's so funny because I'm getting this memory of even in residency and even in attending life, like, I had that same thought. It's so funny that you're mentioning that, but like, I don't think anybody else feels the way I'm feeling or nobody else is complaining the way that I feel inside. And so it must just be a me issue. And so not surprisingly, it's like, okay, like, let me go figure this out. Let me just work harder and let me just sleep less and let me try to make my life work. And it would lead to overworking. So I'm just curious, like, how do you, I feel like a lot of people listening to this might be like, you know what? I don't know that I'm burnt out or overworking. Like, how does someone know if they just love their work, they love to work versus when that becomes overworking and when overworking turns into crispy land burnout? Right. How would, how would right. someone know? Yeah. So I think that most people don't realize is that burnout is not just like you feel miserable, like I just talked about. Yeah. It definitely comes like, you know, if, if you Google, you know, the three parts of burnout, it comes with, you know, three different parts of like feeling like you're emotionally exhausted, where like maybe you 
are tired and you don't want to get up out of bed every morning, which I feel like is a lot of people, a lot of us, right? You know, even after a good night's sleep, you feel just kind of exhausted or emotionally exhausted. There's also this sense that comes with burnout of where you don't feel like you're doing a good enough job or you don't take like pride in it anymore. It's like, oh, it's just never enough. Or you kind of poo-poo on like the job you did or you don't see the difference you're making anymore. It's just like, yeah, I went and delivered three babies. Like, so what? You know, like when in reality, it's like, well, that's like three new lives we just helped into the world. I know, (laughs) know? but you're so right. Yes. Okay. Uh Yeah. And then the other part is kind of this part where you disconnect, where you, they call it like depersonalization, where you maybe see things more cynically, more critically, you feel more alone, you feel more kind of trapped in this kind of isolated realm almost, and don't see yourself as, you know, community anymore, the part of the group or a part of the the community of the people that are in your life even. So, yeah. And so that can come with a lot of things though procrastination, not wanting to get out of bed, like not wanting, I guess, but just not being able to get up and do the things you need to do. <laughs> you know, I would, that probably creates a lot of overwhelm too. Like, so then you start putting things off and then now things start piling up. And then there's probably a whole story around, I can't believe I haven't done all the things that I should have been doing, which probably adds to more overwhelm and more burnout. Exactly. It's like a cycle you get stuck in. And it's kind of this place that you're you're living from that's like through a negative lens. Like everything is a problem. Everybody that comes to you, like, why do all these people need me right now? Like, why I just want everybody to not need me for a little bit. Or, you know, whether that's the kids or at work or whatever. It's like a defensive place. So it can show up as being like really defensive in your conversations throughout the day of like, what do you mean? Like I'm just trying to work, you know. Even right. though it's like I'm almost imagining like small. a short fuse. I'm imagining because yes. like I'm yes. definitely like I definitely teeter, especially with my husband. When I feel overwhelmed, I definitely get super irritable. And I'm like, can't just you just go handle it? Or like I feel like I'm really short when that's not my typical way of being. But when I'm feeling overwhelmed or overworked, I definitely find myself being very tight, snippy, and not just with my husband, like with myself in my own brain. I'm like, you know, kind of snapping at myself too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. It's almost like you're just kind of, you know, stuck in that place almost whenever you're burnt out. You know, you just feel like you just are over it, you know, and that can come and go, of course, but it, it's it's just kind of this big continuum of most of us don't really realize we think, oh, I'm just, well, I'm just stressed. You know, maybe I just have anxiety, something like that. But it's kind of all all of those things or it can be. And so when you yeah. think about like, all of those things that you were just describing and someone's listening to this and like, yeah, like I kind of am like that. I'm a little short. I'm just like defensive. I just don't want to like get to work. I want to stay in bed. I want to procrastinate. Like they, they're identifying with some of those symptoms. Before we get into like what to do, what do you think it is that led them to even get there? Like how does somebody get to burnout? Is it just because they're overworking or are there other things that they're doing that's creating that for them? Right. So there are a lot of things that can lead to burnout and kind of what I teach my clients. And so in the medical setting, and I think it translates elsewhere, we talk about there are kind of three main ways that we can experience or we do in our lives that lead to burnout or contribute to burnout. And so those three things are kind of, you know, starting with number one, your beliefs that 
lead you to overworking or lead you to doing more, striving for more, not recognizing that you're a human, like you said, you know, just things like, oh, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. I should be doing more, even though we're already doing a lot, we're already doing enough. There were a lot of things that I used to think or believe that would actually pressure me into taking on more, saying yes, and doing more work or going to work more that no one else was making me do. It wasn't my job making me do that. I was pressuring myself, right? So and I almost wonder, like in this first point, so I just want to reiterate for anyone that's like listening. So the very first point was you start to think I should be doing more. You start to feel pressure and you start saying yes to things that maybe you don't want to be saying yes to. I remember I would not even just with my work life, but with my mom life, with my kids, especially with my son, I used to think like, oh, I should be, and then fill in the blank. I should be a better mom. I should be doing more. I should be doing more play dates. I should be taking him to the park more. Like all of the should thoughts that made me feel probably not enough was pressuring me to show up in a way that didn't feel really very good. Yeah. You know, if you're high achieving women out there, you know, it's the same, you know, whether it's those thoughts with your your family, like I should be doing more at home or at work. And a lot of times there is kind of that kind of dichotomy of like, like if I was at work, I would think I'm not a good doctor because I get called about a sick kid and I'm like not able to be a good doctor. And then I'd go home and I'd be like, I'm not able to be a good mom because I'm getting called by the hospital and vice versa. It was very enmeshed of like, I could never win with those beliefs and I was never doing enough with those beliefs. So the second thing that leads to kind of burnout or this spectrum of overwhelm and burnout is being what I call or what I tell my clients is being a feeling stuffer. A feeling stuffer is someone who stuffs their feelings way down inside, never to see the light of day. And those feelings build and they stay there. They build and build. The more negative you have inside, the harder it is to deal with your external circumstances. And so this showed up for me, I would stuff my feelings down with food. Okay. So I know that that not surprising. Yeah. Right. Because it works. It works in your mind, right? For those five minutes that you're eating the food, you do get a distraction from those really uncomfortable emotions, especially if you're already at burnout and it's intense, like food, alcohol, the scroll, they work for the moment. It's why we do it. Then whenever that wears off and those feelings start rising up again, okay, well, maybe some more food. Okay. So that's exactly where I found myself was I was just gaining a lot of weight and I thought, I've got to address this weight problem, (laughs) you know, and then finding out, oh, this is also a symptom of burnout and kind of, you know, that led to figuring that out because, you know, I think that whether you're, you know, stuffing your feelings, like you said, with food or, or scrolling or alcohol or whatever, like we, I think in society are, you know, socialized to not feel, but then as high achieving women, we go into these places of where we work or are employed that a lot of times are male dominated fields, you know, and there's definitely no emotions there, you know, not allowed. Right. And so I think we can kind of get into a kind of a cycle of like, just not feeling, just locking ourselves away from our emotions. And so, you know, becoming someone who actually feels is a key here. And so like allowing your negative emotions, 
allowing yourself to be a human and have emotions, you know? Right. How did you just like kind of elaborating on this point number two, especially because on this podcast, we talk so much about living lighter and losing weight. I'm curious because there was a point that you said, okay, I want to solve this problem. Like I'm gaining a lot of weight. Did you think that you were a feeling stuffer? Like at what point did you figure out because I think a lot of times we think, okay, I want to lose the weight. I'm clearly not eating well. I should like count the points and the calories and let me open up the spreadsheets and the, you know, the apps. What did it take for you to realize, okay, it's not that. That's not the permanent solution. I have to actually understand my brain and really dive into this a little bit more. Right. Yeah. So there was a point where I had tried all kinds of things, just like probably many of your listeners out there. Basically, low carb was my usual go to. I just need to eat low carb. But I got to the point that the burnout was so bad, and my emotions, I had so many negative emotions that it just built up, built up, built up that I could not make myself, force myself, willpower myself enough to continue no carb, no sugar because sugar was actually like my drug of choice, essentially. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Like if there was like a candy dish at the front desk, I was like there multiple times a day. And so I realized like, okay, well, I need to try something. So I actually got coached by a coach that did weight loss. And so in this realm of essentially like you, but you weren't a coach then. So, and then I realized, oh, this isn't actually about the food at all. It's about, you know, my thoughts and my feelings. And I quickly discovered burnout from there was like, you know, making those realizations after that. I just thought, oh, I'm just going to like work on my weight. And like, we thought it was a whole separate thing and that it had nothing to do with, with burnout. And I think you're referring to (laughs) Katrina. Like this is how, you know, I totally forgot to even mention this, that you and I both met through Katrina because I think of Katrina as just like a mentor and a coach for us forever in, in in a sense. And I think that you know, what was so fascinating is for you, you discovered burnout. I think when I started coaching, I thought again, like I want to just get the weight thing under control. I was like 200 pounds. And I was at this point pumping and breastfeeding exclusively. And it's just like, this is ridiculous. Something is messed up here. And I remembered the very first few things that I got coached on was being a mom to my then three-year-old son, who I had a lot of thoughts about. Like, he was difficult. And I had a lot of thoughts around myself as a mom and him as a kid. And I had no idea that so many of my thoughts about my experience as his mom was creating a lot of feelings that not surprisingly, I was stuffing in your words, like with food. And there we go. 200 pounds happened just like that. And that's kind of where I was. I mean, I was, I think, 35 pounds up from where I like to be, you know, my healthy weight for me. And it was just like stuff those feelings. Like every time I would get coached, the solution essentially, like we would just end up like no matter where I started, I could have been like, well, I don't know if I should eat this or it always would like progress to, well, you probably need to feel your feelings. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't like that answer. Like, how do you even do that? I think that that's probably the common answer, right? Like when we get to like, okay, hold on. There's absolutely no way to, and we're going to get to this in a second. Like there's no way to actually get to the other side of burnout There's no way to lose weight permanently. There's no way to go and create that life that you want without going through feeling uncomfortable. There's no way around it. I think that so many of us, because we've been trained to not feel, not want to feel, we try to circumvent this step. I think that there's a way that I can get around this one. And I promise you there's not. Actually, the fastest way is to learn the skill 
of how do you allow yourself to feel uncomfortable? Like, and I think so many people are like, wait, but how do you do that? It feels kind of out there because you and I are like practically minded. We're physicians, right? We want steps and strategies. Like, how do you think you go through that process? How do you think you taught yourself to go through that process? Oh, yeah. So after being told like multiple times, like, <laughs> okay, you gotta, you gotta like feel your feelings. Feel your feelings. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, you know, it took me a minute to figure out like, what do I do? How do I do that? I started, and this really worked for me, and I still do this occasionally. I started by at the end of my day, I would have a really hard time transitioning from work to home. I would get so overwhelmed walking in the door at home. And that was supposed to be the easier part, right? It was supposed to be the restful part or the downtime part, but it was like more overwhelming. Okay. And so I started doing this thing where I would pull in the driveway and I would park my truck and I would sit in my truck for five minutes and I would either do a little like writing down, like journaling and like thinking about my stress of the day we sometimes deal with some negative stuff at work, you know, a lot of emotions. And, you know, if, if something unfortunate would happen, you know, to a patient or a baby, it's heavy, you know, you talk about creating lightness, you know, I, I needed to lighten that part, you know, and so just writing it out or, you know, scribbling it down for five minutes in the truck before I even went in the house. Sometimes I would do like a little meditation, you know, like on one of those apps in my truck before I went in a little, you know, five minute thing. Sometimes I would put on angry music and just like let myself feel angry for a minute. You know, I started just with five minutes before I went in the house, honestly. And that probably was the turning point, honestly, in learning how to allow myself to actually feel something rather yeah. than just stuffing it down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think that I, I like to tell a lot of people because like, wait, but how do you feel your feelings? And it feels a little bit like eye rolly. I, that, that was me too. I was like, I feel like I'm like severed at the neck and I don't know what that even means because I want to be very logical about things. And I always really like to tell people that it starts with just recognizing it. Like, oh, this is me feeling overwhelmed. Oh, this is me feeling angry. Like, I, I think that we take that for granted, that step. Like, I used to just be like, oh, I'm angry. Like, I feel it. I'm angry. Like, it's just, I just know it. But no, that's when you're in it. There's a difference between being in your own crap versus stepping out for a second and observing. Okay, you're in the crap because you're feeling overwhelmed. You're in the crap because you're feeling angry right now. You're in this because you're feeling stressed. And I think something about naming it, it just gave me almost like, a moment to separate myself from being in it. It didn't solve it. It didn't fix it. But I'm like, oh, this is just me feeling the terrible, crappy feeling. Okay. Exactly. Probably, I don't know, maybe pretty quickly after I started doing this, like five minutes before I go in the house, I found myself saying that. Like throughout the day, my nurse probably thought it was crazy at first. She was like, you know, because I would say, I feel overwhelmed. You know, like I would just like turn to her and say that like out loud. And she's like, okay, okay. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> right. You know, she didn't know how to respond or anything, but just naming that, like you said, out loud, putting a name to it. It's like, huh, that's a feeling. And I'm experiencing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and validating it and validating it. I think that this is the, the other piece of it. Like we kind of have the way that I used to finish the sentence, I'm stressed. The way I would subconsciously finish it is, and that's a problem. I'm annoyed and that's a problem. I'm overwhelmed and that's a problem. And so no wonder we have a very fight flight response with it. We try to overwork ourselves out as opposed to I'm overwhelmed. And of course 
I am, and that's not a problem. It's like just validating our experience, I think, is huge. Mm-hmm. I agree. And naming it, like you said, there's something about that that if you say it out loud or you know, acknowledge it, it just, it almost lessens it, which is not the goal, you know, but it's, it's like, like okay, you. I'm acknowledging that that's there. Like, yeah, yeah like, I see I you. I see exactly. you. You're right. Mm. You know, I always think of my mm-hmm. daughter. She's, this is like a little tangent. And I want to go back to number three, but my daughter, he, she's four. For the last year or so, we do this like thing we call fam jam. We haven't done it in a while, but we kind of go, th- go around the circle and we each kind of recognize, we want to acknowledge ourselves. So we go around and be like, what do you acknowledge about yourself this week? It's kind of hard. Cause I'm like, I don't know. We don't acknowledge ourselves. My daughter, when we get to her, she's so hilarious. We get to her, she starts pumping her fist up. And she, <laughs> as she's thinking about what she wants to acknowledge, she doesn't even know, but she pumps her fist up. And, and I just, the lesson I learned from her is like, we just never do that. Acknowledging and recognizing how hard we are working because working moms are working really hard, really hard. We just never recognize it. It's kind of what you were saying at the beginning you know, you deliver three babies and you don't even recognize yourself. So I think that just recognizing I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm working really hard, right? So that was a little tangent. Anyways, let's come no, back. Okay, come back. Totally. Just, I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. All right. Well, so then if we're talking about that, you know, so the beliefs that lead you to burnout, you know, of like needing to do more and then being a feeling stuffer, stuffing all your feelings down. And then the third thing that definitely leads to burnout is kind of this mindset or the state that we can often get in where we feel like we're unable to make a change. We feel helpless. We feel like we're trapped or like it just is the way it is. You know, like we just have this like sense of like, I don't have a choice here or I'm stuck in this contract. I'm stuck in this job or this is how it is, you know? And it's kind of like this helpless mentality. This mindset keeps you kind of trapped as a victim almost to the life around you. And being in that kind of like victim role, you don't have the power to see that like you actually, you have choices. You have a choice every day. You know, you have your own authority. You have your own ability to say, no, I'm not doing that. I already have enough on my plate, you know? And so whenever we are trapped in, well, I'm stuck here. This is how it is you know, my life is like beating me down almost like, I don't want to say that everybody feels exactly like that, but it's like this, like, I don't have another choice. We do have a choice, you know, we really do actually. Yeah. How do you tell your clients? Because your clients are OBGYNs, right? When they come to you and they're like, no, 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 Amanda, listen, I don't, I really don't have a choice. I feel like I've seen this happen because it feels so true. It feels like so true. This is my job. These are my hours. This is the call schedule. This is just what it is. I don't have a choice. What do you tell them? Because it feels so true. Right. I start by saying, well, like, why are you choosing to stay at this job then? You're choosing to be there every day. You're choosing to wake up and walk through that door of the clinic or, you know, into your office building. You could choose to go live in a van down by the river, but you're choosing this. What are the reasons, you know, that that you're choosing this? that are for you, you know, like what are the good reasons that you're choosing this job and this life? And if you don't find good reasons, well, why are you continuing to choose it? Because there are other options. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to keep doing what you want to do. You can drop your kids off at the fire station. I mean, you don't have to be a mom, you know, like it sounds really harsh whenever I say that, but like, 
you have a choice. You could run away and live in a different country. I mean, I don't know. And so it's just like trying to open that possibility. Like it's possible that there may be another choice. Actually, and- I think the sense I'm getting when you're saying that, I think we haven't realized that wait, those were choices. It's like, wait, no, there was no choice. It's like, no, no, no. But you could just never show up at work and never pay a bill and never take care of your children. These are choices that we make. I think we assume that, wait, there was no choice. But in fact, wait a second. No, these have all been choices because we also get to reap the reward of showing up at work and getting a paycheck and having our children with us because we love them. Like We also get to reap the rewards of that. So it's almost like we have been making choices. Right. We have. And I don't say that, you know, to disparage any parts of the population that are stuck in poverty or stuck in, you know, whatever. I really don't. But at the same time, like whenever we're stuck in kind of this victim mindset or this very set, like I don't have an option as the high achieving women, we are very privileged. And we don't often realize that in that moment of, listen, I could cut back, you know, or I could renegotiate my contract. We don't recognize the gray area. Okay. And, you know, I don't want to, downplay any groups of our population that you know may not have the choices that we have as high achieving women and so not that we're going to compare anything but we do have other choices that are this gray area and we also have the choice of like okay so you're showing up to a job that pays you money and you know you don't necessarily agree with all the things that they do you have a choice in how you respond to that how you show up as you and how you doctor or how you work that is despite all of that. And so if you're trapped in a negative situation, they can't take how you respond and how you feel away from you. You have that choice of how you feel about it, how you think about it, and how you respond to that. Yeah. Can you think of like, you know, when you were in your job and you've gotten coached, you can see now that the overeating and the waking was actually a response to the burnout. How did you start to implement some of what you're talking about in your work life to tangibly start to like solve and heal some of your burnout? Because you're thriving now. We were talking before this and you were like so much on the other side of it. How did you get yourself out? So it really was Number one, allowing myself to feel that was probably the first step of like, okay, well, I guess I'll set a timer for five minutes and journal about everything that makes me mad, you know? Yeah, do the feeling <laughs> of the feelings. With that. Right. That was probably the most begrudging part that I did. I was like, so angry to have to feel them, but that was probably step one. But also just like being like a, curious toddler, you know, how like they, they just like question everything. Well, why really? Why are you doing that? Who said that? You know, questioning everything, like these beliefs that, you know, well, I've got to add that patient on. If I don't, who else is going to do it? You know, or like thoughts that I had that led me to work more. I need to do more because so you started questioning year. all of those beliefs, yeah. basically. So you notice the belief and you look, but says who? Says, says who? who that I have to, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So you started questioning some of those beliefs. Okay. Yeah. So just really like being like that, that little toddler that's like, why, why? Like I should be doing more. Why? Really? Why? What is more? What is enough? What does that mean? And really questioning that and realizing that I didn't have to continue to believe that, you know, I didn't have to, you know, continue to be the person that gets all the gold stars because there are no gold stars. Like what if I'm just already got my gold star and I'm good? Like, you know, (laughs) 
And so really questioning, you know, who's making me work more? Because almost all the time it was me. Who's making me say yes to things I don't actually want to do? Me, you know, and really just questioning and poking holes in that. And like to do that, I would journal a lot. I really would write down the things that I thought, you know, were leading me to overwork. And then I would just like ask all these questions and write the answers, you know, and it was just like, oh, so I don't have to actually think this, you know? Right. It's you actually, what you just said, I want everyone listening to know you don't actually have to think this. So when you catch a thought, when you become aware of the thought, like I should be doing more, or I'm not doing enough, or I don't have enough, that's a thought that we have. And I think I used to be someone that believed thoughts just happened. Like they just drop out of the universe into my brain and that's just what they are. But we don't have to think that anymore because it's creating what we're talking about here. Right. You're feeling like you're not enough or you're feeling lack and then you're driven to try and do more and more and more or whatever. Yeah. And to not believe my brain was a big part. Like my brain would offer all kinds of things because that's just what it does or what it was used to thinking. And, you know, I don't have to believe everything it offers me. And then, you know, probably the last part was just like reminding myself, like, I have the power here. Whenever I was in my new shiny job that was supposed to fix my life and it didn't, you know, I kind of started by saying like, you know, like, how do I gain my power back was kind of something I was working on of like, but I have a choice. I'm choosing this today. Here are the reasons I want to pay my bills. I want to take good care of my patients, you know, like reminding myself of like why I was choosing stuff. Eventually I was like, oh, well, I have all of the power here. I can choose whatever I want. And eventually that actually turned out to be an amazing thing is like, I want to ask for what I want now, you know? And I started doing that at work, like telling people, this is what I want. This is the vision I have, you know, like using my imagination even to grow how my work was and make it better for me, better for, you know, maybe even the women of my community. And like, if you ask for stuff, sometimes your work gives it to you. And right. I would have never done that. Or before. your family, even like, right. imagine like, yes. even with your family, like thinking about like distribution of responsibilities at home with the children, with the tasks around the house. Like, I think that what you're saying is almost like it's a skill. And to practice the skill of speaking up and asking for what you want first requires that we unblock the feeling that's been holding us back. So there was a feeling that was holding us back from asking for what you want. What you're describing, it's almost like you got to the point where you felt empowered enough to say and ask for what you actually wanted. And lo and behold, you got some of that. Right. Yeah. And if you don't ask, then you're guaranteed not to get it. So I learned that. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, probably for me, it was like fear, fear of someone judging me for asking for something or fear of someone judging me thinking I wasn't good enough or, you know, I was flawed or weak or something like if I was asking for help. And so after I got over that, yeah, or like experienced that fear or was okay with that, then it's like, yeah, like I can ask for, you know, my partner to pick up the kids so that I can go and exercise or, you know, whatever, like recognizing that, that I can ask for things that I need. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I think that what's interesting is because, you know, high achieving working moms, especially, I think we pride ourselves on being able to do it all or on being able to like be, I remember I used to like have this kind of running joke with my husband that I'm such a good multitasker. And he, this is so funny that so many years ago, he was like, that's not a good thing. 
It's so funny. We used to have this fight. I was like, he can literally do one thing at a time. He cannot talk on the phone and like, you know, respond to an email. Whereas I, again, especially in OBGYN residency, you learn how to multitask. I used to think of that as my superpower. So the idea of asking for help, the idea of saying no to something or, you know, delegating responsibility to something else felt really uncomfortable. And I wonder for the listeners that are high achieving women that Think of the multitasking as one of their superpowers. What should they know about being able to delegate, say no, and actually ask for help? What do you think you would say to that? I kind of like to think about, you know, we we have needs as humans, right? And so first accepting our humanness, right? We are humans. We're not superhumans, even though we really try to be. I know that we're really close, but we are still human. And as humans, we have basic human needs. Those needs do not make us needy, okay? So having basic human needs doesn't mean we are a quote, quote, you know, needy person. And that's often, I think, part of what we judge ourselves as if we ask for something, as someone's going to think I'm needy or someone's going to think, you know, I'm too needy. And that's such a negative thing in our culture to be needy. Oh, yeah. And so, well, I'll just do it all myself, right? So recognizing that our human needs don't make us needy. They're just what we require, you know, to survive. And so, you know, that, that includes like time for rest and recovery. That includes time to move our bodies or to feed our bodies healthy things, to hydrate, making time in our workday to go pee or drink water, like basic things, you know, it doesn't make us any less than. Or weak. How many times have you heard especially physicians and OBGYNs, but working moms in general, it's like this badge of honor. You know, when you're like holding your pee or overworking, it is a badge of honor. And and I think that that is the thing that also kind of fuels a lot of what we're talking about, the idea that you're not weak for having needs. You're not weak for actually recognizing them and making changes in your life to accommodate for them. Right. Yeah. It like literally means nothing about you you need to urinate. Like, I mean, but you're right. Like how many times I've told my husband, like whenever I got home, like I haven't peed all day. You know, I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to stop and pee to describe how busy I was, but you're right. It was like this badge of honor of like, I was able to keep pushing through, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It's really, I guess, realizing that. That's so good. I think Amanda, like what you're sharing and for anyone listening, this has just been such an eye-opening conversation around what burnout even is. I think it's so much more of a broad definition than what we think. It's not someone that's non-functional. Burnout is someone that is high functioning, high achieving, and just as having a certain experience of their life that what you're describing is optional, that there is a way out. And it starts with, I think, identifying those three things, the beliefs that created you to overwork to begin with, identifying your feeling stuffers and practicing feeling your feelings. And then this third piece, I think that it's so important to know that powerlessness, powerlessness, like just identifying that and then knowing that you can actually walk your way out, which is so helpful. Is there anything else that you want to share about like, what would you want a listener that's listening to this podcast to walk away from that? Maybe I haven't asked you that we haven't covered. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, you know, especially in the realm of what you talk about here with creating lightness and the burnout felt heavy. I would tell people that, like, I just feel heavy. Like I feel 
emotionally. I didn't know how to describe it at that point. I would just say like, I didn't even want to get up out of my computer chair to like go see the next patient because I was so overwhelmed and so just over it. And I just felt heavy. And so I think that, you know, your concept of like creating lightness and and wanting to create lightness is the key of all of this because, you know, we are emotionally heavy or we're maybe even physically more heavy than what we would like to be because of the emotional heaviness, you know? So I think that creating lightness is like an overall goal almost of getting out of burnout, you know, is creating that lightness again, creating that in all aspects of your life. So yeah. 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 That's so good. And, you know, I think that's like the biggest message that I always want to share with my audience is that I used to think that when I lost the weight, then I would feel better. When I lost the weight, then I would feel lighter. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is you have to learn how to feel better along the way so that it becomes sustainable. Otherwise, you're going to keep chasing the next thing, which is so good to know that it's possible. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's so good, Amanda. Okay, so can you tell everyone that's listening how they can learn more, find you, hear more about all the amazing things that you have to share? Sure. Yeah. So you can always find me on social media. I'm MilesMD on Instagram or if you search on Facebook. And then you can always find me via the podcast, which is The Happy Gynecologist. You've always mentioned that. My website, of course, if you want to learn more about that is coach-miles.com. I love it, Amanda. This has been such a good conversation and I hope that everybody enjoyed it. It's been so good. Bye. Hey friends, join me for the Antidote to Willpower and Weight Loss Masterclass. It is literally the only way to create permanent and lasting results on the scale and for your body. You can go over to www.theunstoppablemombrain.com forward slash antidote for all of the details. Listen, willpower is normal, but it is also finite. And you'll notice that it's high on Monday morning, but by midweek or by the weekend, it has withered away. So what we need to do together is to use a strategy, especially when it comes to weight loss, that doesn't rely on willpower. In this masterclass, you're going to hear my personal story. My struggle at almost 200 pounds and how I had literally tried everything. It took me much of my experience as a physician and in my own personal struggles with trying to lose weight to finally crack the code. It didn't take more of my time, more of my energy, or more of my bandwidth. The antidote is actually the solution to all of that. It frees you from rumination and food chatter and absolutely creates lightness for your body. It's the real permanent solution to reaching your ideal weight. And as I've always said, it's the only way to create permanent change by infusing some simplicity and joy. That is exactly what you're going to be learning in this masterclass. And I cannot wait to see you there. Head on over to the unstoppablemombrain.com forward slash antidote. Bye. Thanks for listening to Weight Loss for Unstoppable Moms. It's been an honor spending this time with you and your brilliant brain. If you want more information or resources from the show, visit theunstoppablemombrain.com.